Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to the art of being you. And once again, I am just so thankful to have you guys here with us. Well, we're going to dive right into today's topic. I put out a poll about a month ago or so on my Instagram um, asking if people were curious about this topic and an overwhelming number of you said yes. Uh, We'd love to hear a podcast on that. So today we're going to be talking about conditional and unconditional promises that are in the Bible. And this is probably something that could be a standalone book. Like there's a lot of information. So today is going to be fairly introduction, uh, introductory about that. And so, you know, we're not going to cover every single promise that's in the Bible, but I do want to give you some tools for how you can gauge for yourself whether the promises of God that you're reading are unconditional or conditional. So let me just tell you one of my absolute favorite quotes, and it's this. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And I love that quote so much. Uh, There's a a ministry that has that as a coffee mug. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to buy myself that mug. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context because most of us don't want to devote the time to studying the Bible in a way that... um, helps us understand some of these type of nuances we're going to talk about today. I know that we're busy. I know a lot of us don't have the, we've never been taught the skills to do this kind of Bible study as well. Um, But I want to do my best to help kind of bring you along the journey with me. In fact, I don't consider myself a Bible teacher in the traditional sense because I don't personally love to just like read on hours on end uh, commentaries and theological books and stuff like that like a lot of the teachers that I know in do that they really do like to do that. For me, I got into teaching the Bible because I wanted the Bible and my faith to be practical for me. And I would come against these moments in my life and my journey where my faith wouldn't work. And it would cause me to really have to step back and say, well, is this even true? Is what I believe even true? Like faith, for example, right? Faith is so elusive. Faith is so abstract and it's so difficult, except that, you know, we're also reading in the Bible that faith is so important. So in my journey to try to understand my own faith and to watch my own faith do the things that God wanted me to do, whether that was through healing or breakthrough or prophetic ministry or whatever, I was like, I need my faith to work for me. And in that process of my own personal desire to understand, uh, that's where a lot of the, the things that I teach about the Bible have come from. So I want to just give you kind of like a 30 second bird's eye view of the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is going to be so important. If you like what I'm saying, I wrote an entire chapter in my new book about it. It's chapter two. And I also preached a message recently on the Crestwood Vineyard uh, website, crestwoodvineyard.org, which is my church. And I preached a whole message about this. 
So if you like this kind of content, if you like this, this is interesting. There's some other resources out there for you to dive in. The Old Testament primarily deals with what we call the Old Covenant, which was the covenant that God made with the Israelites starting at the time of Abraham, but really setting it in stone, no pun intended, with Moses through the Ten Commandments. And when Jesus was ministering before he took up the cross, he began to preach into the new covenant that was enacted when he died on the cross. So the cross became the moment where the old covenant was fulfilled and the resurrection became the moment where the new covenant began to be available to people. Essentially in the old covenant, what we see is this desire from God's end for the people of God to be right with him and to be loyal to him. Now, they were not able to be right in the sense of purity and holiness because they had sin in their lives and their you know, only method of doing anything about that was through sacrifices of all different kinds. I mean, grain offerings, thank offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, so many offerings. And that was how the people stayed, quote, right before God. They were expected to be obedient and loyal. And in exchange for that, God made some promises. And most of the promises that God made were contingent upon the loyalty of his people. Not every promise. For example, the rainbow is the sign of the covenant and the promise that God has said he will never destroy the earth again by a flood. And uh, there was no condition on that. We don't have to do anything to keep make God keep that promise, right? That's 100% on his end. But a lot of the promises in the Bible are conditional and they are conditional based on our ability to be loyal and to be obedient to the way that God has asked us to live. We see this really strongly in the Old Testament, this, this sort of imagery that my people need to do what I say and I will bless them in exchange. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures in Deuteronomy, I set before you today a mountain of blessing and a mountain of cursing. Choose this day which one you will serve. Essentially, what God was saying in the Old Testament is you're having trouble understanding my goodness. And so, you know, if you will go down the way that I made the world to work, if you will choose loyalty to my way, loyalty to me as your God, then I will, you know, you will experience my blessing. Where this gets tricky is when we start to look at God and say, if I do this, you will do this for me. It's like um, we want to hold God in a place that maybe is not the right. It's not reverent. It's not respectful. It's basically expecting him to do things because we did certain things, right? That's not the dynamic between humans and God that is very beneficial. But that's the sort of what's happening in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. In the new covenant, what we see is that Jesus took care of all of our inability to be right with God. And so because Jesus becomes our righteousness, because Jesus is right on our behalf, we are able to experience things from God and receive from God without having to go through all the hoops that we once did. But that does not mean that every promise in the New Testament is unconditional. See, the thing is that most of the promises in the entire Bible, but especially the New Testament, are conditional, but there, there's an expectation of relationship that makes those um, blessings from God able to be poured out. So what I want to do today is, is reiterate one thing in particular. The first is this, that we do not pursue God's way as a way to make him love us. We are not doing all the things God said so that God will love us. 
God does love us. We are doing the things that he asks because we love him, because it comes out of the place of our appreciation and our kindness and our relationship with him. We love him and we understand why he made the world the way that he does. And so we pursue those things from that end. Any time that we are convincing ourselves that all of our good deeds, our moral acts, our Christian behavior is causing God to love us, we are believing something that is deception. We do not pursue God through our works to try to get his love, to try to earn his love. We have received his love and that love produces good works and actions in our lives. So this is tricky, right? Because Christian behavior, good choices, this is a huge part of kingdom life, but a lot of it has to do with the motivation of where it's coming from. So I want to look at four specific promises that are in the Bible that are really popular that people have on their homes, you know, verses in their homes, their coffee mugs, their journals, whatever. And the first one is from the Old Testament. This is a personal favorite scripture of mine. This is a personal word from the Lord to me. It's very, uh, I have a lot of of passion for this scripture and it's Deuteronomy chapter eight. And for the interest of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, but I'll put this in the notes of the caption of this podcast and you can go do your own study. Deuteronomy 8 is this beautiful passage of God saying all these amazing things he's going to do. I'm going to teach you how to make money. I'm going to bless you beyond what you can imagine. I'm going to make your children into, you know, all these amazing things. The generations to come from you will be blessed. It's this really, really beautiful thing. And if we are not paying attention, we can think, is that unconditional? Is this blessing of God, meaning like he'll just do it and I don't have to do anything on my end? Well, the answer is kind of no. Now, again, we're going back to the motivation, right? We're not doing the right things to make God bless us, but we're understanding that right relationship with God is a blessing. It is a blessing in itself. And so Deuteronomy 8 has this, this, uh, if I could sum it up this way, it would be that our job is to remember that it's God that brings all these good things into our life. Our job is to stay loyal to his way, and it's God's job to bless you like crazy. And in the marriage of those two things, with the heart posture in the right place, we begin to experience God's blessing like never before. The blessing is not often monetarily, so I want to be really clear about that. But it does include monetary blessing as well. But a lot of times the blessing is peace and favor and, and uh, you know, a sense of purpose for your life and joy and all of these amazing things that we want. So if somebody says, you know, God makes me wealthy, well, okay, that, that's maybe one way to interpret it. But don't forget that God specifically says in this scripture, if you choose to not remember that it was me that brought you to this good place, I will take it all away. Now, it's not God being cruel. It's God knowing. Here's the thing, guys. Here's the linchpin, the key to this entire thing about conditional and unconditional promises. God knows that if you walk in the blessing of God without the relationship with God, it will overtake you and it will hurt you in the end. It will hurt you in the end. It's like winning the lottery, right? 90 something percent of lottery winners are broke within five years. Why? Because the character wasn't there. The, di- the, the foundation wasn't there. The relationship wasn't there to be able to steward the blessing. You guys, God wants you to be prosperous in every area of your life, but he does not want you to be prosperous if it means that you will walk away from him. 
He would rather have you in relationship with him than anything else, right? And he knows your heart. So some of these things are conditional. Let's look at really popular ones, John 14, 14, and John 15, pretty much the entire chapter. Twice here, at least, Jesus says, ask in my name and whatever you ask for will be done for you. Now, this one is dicey, right? Because I don't know about you, but I've prayed this prayer before and Jesus did not do what I asked. I said in your name, I believed in your name, you know, check that podcast from a couple weeks ago. And no, Jesus was like, no, I'm not going to do that for you. (laughs) So what gives? What's the difference, right? How do we understand what these scriptures mean when Jesus himself says, ask in my name and whatever you ask for. There's no apparent contingency right there. Whatever you ask for will be done for you. And then you do ask for it. And then he says, no, like, wait, what? Here's where we're missing the conditional promises of God, right? In John 14, the the scripture says, ask in my name. And what that actually means is as my representative, ask as my representative and whatever you ask for will be done for you. So if I'm saying, God, you know what? It would be sweet to uh, drive a Range Rover. I mean, I'm, I'm making this up because that's not, I don't even have a dream car. But if I did have a dream car, it wouldn't be that. So, uh, you know, if I'm like, God, I want to drive a Range Rover in the name of Jesus, give me a Range Rover, you know, and I start praying these things and the Range Rover is to make me look cool, to make me look popular, to make me look, you know, fancy, whatever. When the motivation is for me and building my empire and my kingdom apart from God, guess what God is going to say about that? I'm not obligated to answer that prayer because why? Because you're not praying it as my representative, as my representative. How do we be his representative? Well, we have to pray the things that are on God's heart. God does not care what kind of car you drive. It does not matter to him whatsoever. So, I mean, it probably matters that, you know, you're not breaking down the side of the road in a dangerous place. Okay, I'll balance it with that. But do you understand what I'm saying? So when we say these things like in John 15, you know, he says, ask whatever and it will be done to you. All right. So second time Jesus is saying this in one long lecture, right? It's the same. We are breaking this up into different chapters, but it's not. It's the same message from Jesus. And what is he saying? Ask in my name. The obligation here, the 15 some verses before that scripture, nine verses, something like that are all about remaining in the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Remain in me. If you don't remain in me, I will actually take those branches and throw them away. If you do remain in me and my heart is in you and my word is in you and you are in me, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Now, wait a second. To me, that sounds pretty conditional, right? That sounds like I've got to be besties with Jesus. I got to be, you know, one with him. He's got to be in my life. It's not just in your life, but your his word is in you. What does that mean? That means that you're pursuing the things of God, that you're being in right alignment with God. Ask whatever you want from that place and it'll be done for you. Well, guess what's going to happen, guys? You're not going to ask for stuff for your own selfish gain. Even Abraham, right? God made this covenant with him and he said, Abraham, you will be blessed to what? To make you look good so you can get on MTV Cribs so that you can have a nice house. No, you'll be blessed to be a blessing. You're going to be the place that I store my resources for the world. 
It'll be in your family. And what happens? Well, a few generations later, Joseph goes to save Egypt and the entire region, including Israel. My resources will be housed in you to solve the problems of the world. This is a different perspective than, you know what, Jesus, it'd be great if I could drive a Benz. Remain in me. Let my word be in you. It's conditional. Can you see that? Let's talk about uh, this one. This one's so popular. I have this one on a pillow in my house. So, you know, you might have it on something in your house as well. It's Ephesians 3.20. I love this scripture, but I'm telling you, there were times of my life where I quoted the scripture, I claimed the scripture, and I totally missed what it was really about. So what does it say? That God will do abundantly, exceedingly more than you could ever ask for or imagine. Now, if we cut that scripture out like a magazine clipping and we put it on our vision board and we ignore everything around it, we're going to be in for an interesting awakening. Why? Because that scripture is not unconditional. God is not obligated to just do whatever you want, right? We work for him. We serve him. We are his kids. He's in charge. I hope you know that. So what does that mean? God will do exceedingly abundantly. He'll do more than we can ever ask. Well, there's two things we got to note about this. Number one, abundance is God's nature. Anytime he shows up, it's better than we could imagine. It just is. He can't not do that. It's He's not capable. God is not capable of like just enough to skirt by. When his hand is on something, it's extravagant. It's more than enough. When his hand is on breakthrough, man, you better believe you are set apart to be free, like abundantly free. When his hand is on you to bring favor, you better believe every door that you need opened is going to open for you. When his hand is on your finances, he will bless you beyond what you can imagine. Now let's, you know, rewind a few seconds back to why he blesses people financially. So what does this mean? Well, this is what it says. If we're summing this up, God is saying, I'll keep pouring out all this blessing on you beyond what you can imagine. But what is on our end? That we come to know his love. That we come to know his love. That entire chapter of Ephesians 3 leading up to this scripture is about knowing the love of God and letting the love of God work in and through our lives. Last time I checked, that's a fancy way of saying having a relationship with Jesus. Having a relationship with Jesus. Can you imagine what it would be like for the, the the goal of your relationship with Jesus to not be trying to do all the right things? Don't cuss. Don't drink. Don't, you know, look lustfully at anything. Don't steal. Don't, you know, like, like don't, 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 don't. But what Jesus is really wanting is to draw you into waves of his love and the love just knocks out the desire to do anything apart from his will. And it's like you're so consumed by his love that you can't forsake him because he's the most precious thing to you. And if he wants cupcakes that are, you know, made with blue food coloring and it makes no sense to you, you make them that way because it's God and it's what he wants and it's so beautiful and it doesn't feel like a sacrifice at all because his love is washing over for you. And when you're in that place of being enraptured by him, he'll just keep doing exceedingly more than you could ever believe. It's a different perspective, right? I grew up kind of thinking, okay, I need things from God. I need a transactional relationship with God. I need him to do some things for me. I'm going to need a good husband, God. Do you hear that? I have a joke with the Lord and, and with my husband. And I do think God thinks I'm funny, although, you know, I joked about something the other day and I kind of felt convicted and I was like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Please know my heart. But I'll say to the Lord sometimes, like, you know, I need that, you know, oh, Lord, you know, I need that. 
And sometimes God is like, let's talk about it. And sometimes he's like, no, you don't need it. And we move on. And sometimes he just does it because he's that good. But the reason why I live my life upstanding before him has nothing to do with what he's going to give to me, right? Years ago, uh, about nine years ago, we moved to Oklahoma City to plant a church. And um, we had about six or seven months where we had left our previous church and we had like no friends in that time. We moved during that time and we were not living in community. And many, many days I thought to myself, I could sin and no one would know. I could do something really bad and no one would know. And and I, I could just not tell about it and nobody would know. And I remember just being drawn in that season. Now, I should say, I didn't want to. I was just thinking about how I could. And I was just enveloped in that passage of Abraham stepping out on this nomadic journey with God. And he would stand before the stars in an audience of one, basically. There was nobody there to tell him how to live his life. He was not trying to prove himself for anybody. He was just living just authentically before God, a man and stars and God, right? And he's making these choices off of something that he senses inside of himself, not because anybody around him will ever be able to tell. And I remember thinking, what an amazing moment of my life. God, I get to see what I'm made of. Am I living my life and doing all these right things because I want to impress my friends or my church? Or am I doing it because I just love you that much? Man, I just love you, God. I couldn't even imagine doing these things because it would break your heart and that would break my heart. See, the blessings of God and the promises of God are almost all tied to our ability to be in that place with him. It's like it's like the benefit of being God's child, but we're not God's child because of the benefits, Right? And the, the way that we pursue him makes all the difference. So are there conditional promises in the Bible? Heck yes, there's a lot of them. So how do you find them? Well, here's what you do. When you think you know something about what the Bible says, here's what I want you to do. Read the whole passage. Read, you know, at least five verses before and five verses after the one that you want to quote. So Jesus says, Ask me, you know, whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Well, read it in the context. And then I want you to make two notes. Number one, is God asking anything from me? And then number two, why is God saying he will do this? Why is God saying he will do this thing? And if you can check the promises that you're believing through those two filters, you will be that much stronger in your faith because you'll know how to understand and how to apply does that make sense? When I know that God in Deuteronomy 8 wants to bless, but he wants my household to be established on his name and his way, then I can trust him, right? Because I know what he's asking in return. When I know that Jesus is saying, ask in my name, whatever you want, then I'm not going to waste that if it's something frivolous or temporal or natural and has no eternal value because God doesn't really, that's, that's of less importance to him. I'm not saying it's not important. It's just of less importance to him. So when I ask in his name and I know it's something that he wants, man, I stand firm on that. For example, a couple weeks ago, we had a tornado coming through and man, this sucker was already rotating and it was like about a mile away from our house. 
And I, if you know my story at all, you know, the last eight years, it's been my, my goal to prayerfully eradicate Oklahoma as Tornado Alley. And we are having major success in that. Not complete success, but major success. And I walked out into my driveway and I looked at those clouds and I started speaking to them with absolute confidence that you will not drop a tornado that will destroy anything in the Oklahoma City limits. That you will not, you know, you're, you will hold, the cap will hold if you know anything about weather. The, uh, you know, we were praying over the, the, electric climate of the atmosphere. We're praying all of this stuff and we're praying protection over homes. Why? Because I know that God does not come to steal, kill, and destroy. I know that God's heart is not for property destruction. And so I can stand and I can pray with absolute confidence that God is going to answer that prayer because it's what's on his heart. And you know what? He did. He did. Several of the tornadoes that happened that night were in very rural areas. And then there was one area out of town that was hit by a tornado that was incredibly sad. But I don't believe anybody was killed in that one, if I'm correct. I might be wrong about that. But um, but so we pray from that perspective and that understanding and our prayers are that much more effective. Our confidence with the Lord is that much more effective because we know what he's asking of us and we know what he's prepared to do. So I hope this was helpful for you guys. It's just sort of a, I'm telling you, this is like, this could be a book in itself, right? Because there's so much to this. Um, but hopefully this will get your thoughts going. If you've got questions, feel free to email me, rachel at rachelwartman.com. And uh, I'd love to help you walk that through. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.